Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a top-tier commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme, and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I do personal PR for business leaders and entrepreneurs. I also run a PR training firm called Nine Media. If you like this podcast, please do tell your colleagues, share on social and rate it. That's how others find it. Welcome to the next edition of the Media Insider. So I'm here with Richard Pollins. He's head of planning at ITV News London. So Richard's been in broadcasting for 20 years first started at ITN, then left, did a bit of work at BBC and Sky, came back to ITN eight years ago and has been ITV News London, heading up the planning desk for the last five years. That's right. Thanks for joining me, Richard. Thanks so, for having me. you're my first guest, actually, that's talked about a broadcast newsroom, so this is quite exciting. So, how is the programme, so your flagship programme, which goes out in the evening. How is it structured in terms of the regular slots and and the bits that make up that half-hour programme? I wouldn't say we have regular slots, um, but what we do have is kind of an ambition to be, have a good sort of variety of stories. So what you don't want to walk into on the day are kind of six or seven crime stories or six or seven politics stories. You know, you want a, a decent mix of human interest and sport and entertainment and that sort of stuff it's a combination of reporter-led pieces and live guests it's pretty unusual for us to not have at least one sometimes two live guests on the program i think that is different to certainly you know our colleagues at national news at this in the evenings they don't tend to have guests on and it's a really important part of the program and how we build that up and how we produce that and it's often kind of what determines whether it's a you know a good program or not really so that's usually just one sofa guest that you have no I, I, sometimes two uh we tend to only have one in 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 each half so if if in the, in the second part of the program is much more if a guest is in that then there tends to be someone who's kind of a of, of lighter interest maybe a showbiz person maybe somebody who has something to promote that we're interested in, maybe kind of a, a Londoner who is an interesting character. It sounds obvious, but as a London-based programme, everything we do has to be of interest to a London audience. Whereas in the in the top half, we we may have you know, a news-making interview, uh, a harder news story, maybe, or maybe someone reacting to kind of one of our top one or two stories of the day that we wanted to go into more detail and have some analysis off the back. Because a lot of people don't really understand the difference between you know, a studio interview and then the so-called the VT, which is mm. the report that's put together by, by a reporter with the voiceover, and then the standalone sound bites. Can, is there any sort of formula with what sort of stories work better for what sort of formats? I don't think there's one size fits all formula, but what people don't necessarily realise who call us is they, they say, well, why, why can't you just send a reporter and a camera to us. And of course I can, I do have that, but I want, A, it's good for the programme to have 
um, people come into the studio. We have great presenters and we want to make good use of them. Uh, and that's how they get more into the programme by in doing interviews. And B, it's a use of our resources. We have a finite amount of resources. And if I'm putting a reporter on a interview-led piece, a piece which is just going to be about that one person, then maybe that's not the best use of them because that, that means they're not doing the newsier story that we don't yet know about. In terms of what makes a good interview, it's it's actually in some ways similar to what makes a good interview full stop. You need to be a good talker. It's television, so pictures matter. Even if, even if you're just talking to that person in the studio, have they got to help us paint it, we would say, to illustrate what we're talking about um, so that we kind of you know, keep the viewers with us. They don't get bored by watching and the obviously the key difference from the interviewee's perspective is if you're in the studio you're live so it goes very quickly it's happening in a live television environment whereas if you're being pre-recorded you got the chance to redo something potentially several times however you're only going to end up realistically in in a kind of fairly soundbite fashion most of the time will just be a short Sometimes 15, 20 seconds will be what survives for the piece. Whereas if you're live on the programme, you get a lot longer. So how's it planned? You're on the planning desk, but I know because I worked here that there's also there's a news desk and then there's what you call an output desk. Yes. So the people that don't know what that means, how's it all worked together? And how's the, how do the, those teams work together and produce a programme? Yeah, if you think about it, almost take it, it's not a great analogy, but, but take a sort of factory type scenario you where you've got something that's starting on a conveyor belt and that's the planning desk and then handing it over to the news desk who are the on the day team um who are then working with output so the news desk and, and planning desk are what we would call inputs they are outward facing talking to could be PRs, could be members of the public, could be members of different organisations, and finding out what, where these news stories are and what we want to do and how we want to cover them, um, where we where we should be. And then our job on the input side is to get the best of that into the building so that people on the output desk, the programme editor, the producers, can hopefully do a good job of putting it all together and crafting it into a programme that then is put out on television for everyone to watch. So the planning's like the filtering. <laughs> I would I would argue that the planning is the start. Uh, kind of this is these are the stories that we think could be of interest to you tomorrow, in the next two or three days, the next week. We don't realistically work that much further in advance than that often. And then the news desk take it on on the day. So one very small pr mistake that PR people make often is they ring up and say we want to talk to the news desk. And so we think right, well, we'll put you onto the news desk, but they don't mean that, they mean the planning desk. Mm. Because if it's on, if it's not for that day, then you don't want the news desk. And I would say that is something that is not a particular quirk of our programme. That's all TV news programmes would, would tend to have, their news desk would only really be looking at that day's agenda. Yeah, because that was going to be one of my questions, because I only know ITN, but I suppose, you know, at... The, at other like Channel Four News, for instance, because that's a which is also part of ITN, because they just have one program a day. Is their input and output still separate, or is it because it's one program? Do the planners also 
Yeah, I, I mean, Ch Channel 4 News have their own planning editor. I, I don't know the exact process for them because I've not worked there. But again, they would have they have a, a news desk that is there to deal with on the day stories. So I suspect it's very similar. So with you on the planning desk, so you're at the start. So if someone, you must get a lot of pictures, first of all. Absolutely. So what is your filter? Do you know instantly if something's going to be a good story or not? You know instantly if it's a really good story, yes. And you know instantly if it's terrible. And there are, there's, a, there's a lot that falls in between. So if something has a kind of a really big name or kind of is going to be grabby to our audience of interest to a London audience, my ears will prick up. If it's something that is, you know, very commercial, very promotional, survey-based, not of interest to London specifically, very little picture, then I'm not interested. And you'd be surprised at how often that type of thing happens and, and people aren't particularly aware of our programme. That's, I think... For me, a long-running problem that I, I'm always surprised by people who don't seem to be that aware of who they're talking to. I'm not expecting them to know me, but if you're calling my programme, then you should have some idea of what gets on my programme. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess because you're picture-based, does it help if people put photos in their pitch or even clips of video footage that could use. Does that help, or is that a bit too PR-y? That can be a bit too PR-y, but if, if what you really have to sell is, right, I can offer you a spokesperson from X organisation about X survey, well then, how is this TV? You know, a, a kind of... We all watch TV. You, you must be able to tell that you very rarely, certainly not on a good programme, would see a piece based around a spokesperson saying that what they've done is a marvellous thing. That, that isn't interesting, and that isn't what we do, and it's not really what anybody does. Yeah, yeah, it might work for radio, but yeah. not for TV. Yeah, no, absolutely. How can you use PRs then? Have you got any examples of where maybe PRs have pitched to you and it is either a story or you can use a spokesperson for them? Yeah, of course. So good PRs will send a... Factual information across, I think this is how it should work. They, they know our programme and they go, look, this is of interest to Londoners, I think, because of this. We can offer you this. Um, it's on this day. Um, and here are the contact details. Then maybe they follow up with a call. As you can probably imagine, I get a kind of a, I get a ridiculous number of emails. I'm first to admit that I get email blindness quite often. It is possible that I got your email and it didn't really register. So I, I don't mind people following up. I think it's quite sensible. But if the answer is no, that's, that's often the way it is. And, and uh, you have to remember that we only have between eight or so stories that get on a day. So you're, ask, wow. you're asking really to say whether your story is one of the top eight stories in one of the busiest cities in the world. And even of those eight, I guess it's... New, some of those are going to be news, hard news exactly, stories, aren't they, exactly. rather than the stories that you pitch. Yes. And what do you make of pitches of sort of speculative commentator pitches, like if there's an expert on something to do with Brexit, and if someone says, if you're covering Brexit, I've got this person, and that do you fi ever file away those kind of, oh, maybe in the future that person might be useful, or is that just too much admin on your half? I don't do it very often. 
A-Levels is a great example, actually. Honestly, it feels like the kind of, if, if Christmas starts early, the conversation about what could be on A-Level results day starts even earlier. And it's kind of, what is your expert going to say? Why is your expert more important than anybody else's expert at a time when people are using really very few experts? It's not about how many academics you can squeeze onto a program or commentators. It's about how do you get to the story? How do you get to the people who are affected? That's what we're about. If your expert is more important than that, then say why. Because on my program, we're rarely looking for it. Having said that, on a rolling news channel, or like you say, on a rolling radio channel, then there is more time to have that kind of person involved. Uh, for us, it's it's rare, I have to say. That's really interesting, and I think that is, people are going to find that very interesting. You mentioned there that it's at a time when there are less experts. Do you think there's people, the news is generally using less experts now than they used to? I think a little bit. Uh, certainly sound bites. I think what I don't want to make out is somehow that we've dumbed down for that. I don't think necessarily that's right, but it's kind of the 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 thrust of certainly ITV News is kind of like, well, what's, how do we get to the people who are affected and, and, and who, who, who does this matter to? You know, you might, if you're doing um, a story about a medical breakthrough, you might want someone who is schooled in that specific science to tell you why it matters. But kind of what we, you know, might in the newsroom refer to as a rent-a-gob, that looks lazy these days, I think. Yeah. Because one way, I suppose, of, you know, experts getting onto the media is to pitch. But I suppose you must look, actively go and look yourself for someone who's got very specific expertise. So is there anything that people can do to help themselves be found easier? Like, where do you go to actually source expert, very specific experts that you might need or commentators? Uh, there are there are certain databases, I think. Um, but I, if you're, it's a sort of self-fulfilling uh, prophecy, I think. So it, I think if you if you are getting um, quotes into papers, um, that's of interest. Um, we we have, as you can imagine, a big drive here on on kind of the representation of women and the representation of black and other ethnic group representatives. So people who who have the kind of the right skill set and are from those groups, are kind of that we're, we're interested in knowing about them. So I don't want to appear unduly negative because I know obviously a lot of people listening have people to promote. Uh, I'm just trying to be honest. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Stories rather than expertise. That is so useful. Now, uh, I want to just ask you a bit about the planning itself. So you work one day ahead, you mentioned. Is that all or do you ever look further ahead than that? So I, I look further ahead than that personally, but we are all of us much more heightened by the next day and certainly on the day itself when you come to it so I tend to support the person who's working to that next day whilst allowing myself to be split and looking further ahead two three days ahead but if you could if you know here we are in the middle of October I couldn't tell you what I'm planning for a month's time it's just yeah. too far in advance and if people pitch too early do you keep their email or do you just say contact me again near the time it kind of de- it, it depends what if it's something stonking then yes if it's fits into that very large section of maybe then in truth possibly not um uh, because what what you sometimes end up doing is kind of 
entering a, an email trail with, with someone about a story that is possibly just dependent on how much else there is that day and you could end up wasting each other's time um so uh, it's very difficult i realize because there are some you don't necessarily know whether your story is going to be perceived by me as amazing or average but normally i would kind of a week or so's notice is usually fine yeah and on the day is it better to pitch in the morning in the afternoon for a story that day, uh, no, for for a story like the next. For day, a story the can. next day in the in the morning, we have ITV London. We have our planning meeting at half past twelve, and in that meeting is usually me, my colleague who is working to that next day, uh, and often the program editor or the news editor who's involved in the next day, and the overall editor of ITV London. So it's kind of, you know, the, without being arrogant, the decision makers really of that next day's programme are there. So if we know what we're talking about before 12.30, then we can all discuss it together. doesn't mean that we don't do stories that emerge after 12.30. Of course we do. But that's when that meeting is. Yeah. Is that quite standard across the industry, you think, that 12.30 meeting? Or is that just a... Just an ITV news. Uh, I wouldn't know. I, I would have. It, it makes sense to me that the kind of the the later you have your planning meetings in the day, the less time you have to react to stuff that's said in them. So it doesn't yeah. seem particularly logical to have planning meetings late on in the afternoon because there's only a limited amount of working yeah. hours in the day to respond to requests that are made. Because in those planning meetings, that's when either the programme editor or the news editor or whoever says, actually, why don't you try to get us access to a school or to a nursery or to find a case study or of someone who's got diabetes, whatever you might like to suggest. But if, if someone's only having that thought at five o'clock in the afternoon, it's obviously a lot harder to sort yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And that, just to clarify, that planning meeting is for the planning team. That's nothing to do with today's programme because the, the meeting that discusses today's content, that's, that's, that's in the morning, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so you have your, your average on-the-day story. Can that you have a, We have a meeting at nine o'clock. Uh, we go through what's, what's around that day that we all want to do and decide what we want to do. And that will be, hopefully, a well-planned list that's been left by me and my colleagues plus whatever stories have broken overnight or breaking or whatever, the stuff that we didn't know about. And, you know, obviously then the day still develops. It's a news programme where we react to things when they happen. So there's another meeting in the afternoon at two o'clock, which is a production-led meeting when the programme editor will talk through how he or she sees the programme going out that night and in what order and how each piece will start and look Great. And just to finish off, have you got any examples of any uh, recent stories that have resulted in a pitch, either from a member of the public or from a PR, and it's come to a great story? So, yeah, so recently, um, and this is a good example of somebody working with me on the kind of how to fit in with what works best for us as a programme rather than necessarily how the event was working Anyway, as you'll probably know, Barbara Windsor, unfortunately, has been diagnosed with dementia and has been quite active in seeking uh, research and fundraising to kind of tackle dementia. And it was last weekend, um, there was a marathon um, 
led by another EastEnders actress um, called Kelly Shirley, who did a river walk along the Thames. Now, the um, PR people from Alzheimer's Society said, well, why don't we come and cover that? And our weekend bulletins are incredibly short. Uh, they're five minutes long. We tend to only do one piece on them on them each day. We could have done that piece, but you know, it's it's unlikely to be the newsiest piece of the day. And um, so what I said to them was actually, could they get some footage of it? Could Kelly come in on the Monday and be a live studio guest? So it, you know, which which they helped to arrange for me. They convinced her at one point I don't think she was able to do it but they managed to convince her to do it and that meant that we got to cover cover the story properly um we got to see footage of it actually the PR person was particularly proactive in telling me that she was involved Kelly was involved in a TV program with Idris Elba which again meant we had something else to talk to her about and instead of thinking oh I don't want you to have anything else to talk to us about in fact that helps to kind of me to sell the item onto the program uh, which means the, the the issue the point that you're trying to make as the PR person in this case how to help fundraise for a horrible condition gets the airtime um, rather than have it restricted so I, I think that was very grown-up thinking from everybody and it led to a, a decent interview one last thing before we, any other pitching niggles things that annoy you when people contact you anything else that you haven't mentioned i know <laughs> <laughs> i love this bit yes i mean look uh, there's i tell you the worst thing that anybody ever does and it may be just me because i'm particularly bad-tempered but if, if <laughs> it, i don't think you are if when somebody rings up and is almost coquettishly coy to say, listen, we've got a story. We can't tell you what it is yet. I find it infuriating and, and you'd be surprised. And I, I know how these things must emerge. I suspect there's a client somewhere saying, call them up, find out if they're interested in theory and then let on that we'll be able to tell them more on the day. I, I haven't got time to yeah. be teased. I'm unlikely to find it enchanting so it's it either give me the facts or don't bother yeah. uh, there's 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 just no point in that I don't think uh, other things you'd be surprised how often people uh, I said earlier don't know much about the program I get emails telling me that this is going to be a good story for BBC London I think that's unbelievable. It's hap <laughs> I, it happens quite a bit. Uh, I get Ooh, emails with the wrong dates in, the wrong months. It's 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 that sort of stuff. And it makes me think, well, if hang on, if you've got that wrong, if what else have you got wrong? It doesn't inspire confidence. Yeah. Uh, so I think accuracy, accuracy matters in our world. We make mistakes, of course we do. But if you're trying to get me to have confidence in you, you, you have to be accurate at the yeah. onset. Yeah. Richard, thanks so much. Um, no that's problem. Really, really useful. No problem. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for listening to the Media Insider, the podcast helping PRs, journalists, and anyone who wants to raise their media profile. Please do share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're in PR and you need some skills training, or you're a professional and you want to raise your own profile, then do drop me a line either on Twitter or through HelenCroydon.com.